Hi everyone, before we kick off today's episode, we just wanted to take a moment to say thank you to all of the listeners that have liked, subscribed and followed the podcast. It means a lot to us and if you haven't done so already, please subscribe and follow us on our social media channels. Now for the latest episode. Welcome to Pitchside Perspective Podcast with your hosts Stuart Sharples and Jack Kolazar. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Pitchside Perspective Podcast. In today's episode, we are going to delve deep into the turbulent journeys of two football giants, Chelsea and Man United. They have had the rise, the glory, and now the ultimate fall from grace. As fans from both clubs are going to share their perspective of what is going on right now. We will talk about the heartaches, the sackings, the owners, the struggles, and the rollercoaster journeys both clubs find themselves on. Talking about struggling, Jack, how are you, mate? All right, yeah, yeah. You can keep working on those introductions, that's good. Well, I've heard, I've heard you got a sore knee from uh, coming out of retirement and playing 90 minutes the other night. So, uh, yeah. how's it feeling? Swollen knee, yeah. Swollen knee. If any clubs are looking for a free agent, Jack is available. Um, you, what, what are you saying now? You're not a left-back anymore? You're a holding midfielder? Uh, just jack of all trades, like Well, I like it. Um, what beer of choice have you gone this week? Uh, I've gone Levante Brewing Company, a brewery that we've... Um, mentioned on the podcast before uh fuzzy stuff pineapple peach ale it's good stuff how is it yeah it's good levante is a brewery we've uh, mentioned before a few times they have a bunch of good beers yeah no they do have uh, a good selection of all different types um i know we're in november now but i've gone for an october fest i've gone for a sierra nevada october fest fest beer one of those beers you could probably again have uh, a fair few of and that seems like a, a common theme with the beers that i pick um, so I'm on my my second one now, but I'm sure a couple later I'll be uh, I'll be feeling it again. Um, but yeah, so Jack, last week with the question of the Manchester derby, um, not just yourself, but a few other people that I spoke to struggled with the question. I'm sure if you weren't a United or a City fan, you struggled. Um, but I'm sure you're going to challenge me this week. Yeah, that was a tough one. That's probably the hardest one so far, I think for sure. Um, but a little bit easier this week. So I'm expecting you to get all of the answers correct. Uh, there are four clubs that have had, uh, currently have had one season in the Premier League in their history. Who are the four clubs that have managed to have one Premier League season in their club history? Yeah, I, uh, one of them definitely springs to mind straight away. Um, I think that's probably sprung to everyone's thoughts straight away. But yeah, I'll have a little think and we'll, uh, we'll come back at the end um, to that question. Good question, though. Um, so, yeah, this week we're going to look at two big teams in the Premier League era, uh, Man United and Chelsea. We've managed to bring on, um, for his second appearance of the pod, Mr Lewis Benton, representing uh, the Blue Corner in Chelsea. Uh, and we have a new guest on this week, Paul Cox, all the way from sunny Manchester, just before he's about to go to the game tonight, representing the Red Corner. Um, obviously, with Lewis, we did our five quick so fire or not so quick so fire questions last week. But Jack, it's Coxie's turn now. Yeah. Uh, the five not so quick fire questions. Name? Paul Cox. Favourite team? Manchester United. Favourite ever sporting memory? Ooh. John Terry missing that penalty. Sorry, Lewis. I wonder why you said that one. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, fairest ever kit. It was the United. It was the two thousand and eight nine season with the blue away shirt. United. Aig. That was the one where uh, we had that goal against Arsenal, the counter attack, right? Exactly yeah. What a goal! Can't be a United fan. His favorite kit's blue. <laughs> <laughs> Best player seen live. I'm gonna go. With, I'm not gonna go with a United player. It's probably gonna be a bit of an unpopular one, but Kevin De Bruyne. Yeah, it's a good shout. That's a massive shout there, Coxie. Being a red and you've gone for a blue. Wow. And I've probably seen him live more than good United players. So that's why I've gone with him. Especially in recent years. Yeah. That kind of uh, 
probably showcases what we're going to be speaking about for the next uh, the next hour or so in terms of the demise of United and the talent that they have. Um, so yeah, Lewis, we'll kind of start with you. And on, on Chelsea, we've gone from obviously Chelsea. We spoke about the other week coming up in the nineties, early two thousands, being happy to get to a final, then going and growing and being a a top top team, winning the league year after year to the last few years, it kind of being a a bit of a downward slope, right? Yeah, I think as far as you summed it up perfectly in your Peter Drury esque monologue to begin with, where you know in terms of the Premier League era, you got two of the three you know, biggest clubs at the at the same time going through a, a, a unnerving decline. Um, Chelsea for as much as as fast as they sort of have went up under the Abramovich era. They're coming down just as quick under the Todd Bowley era. Um, you talk about stability and, and ever presence, you know, throughout the, the direct comparisons from United through the nineties into the two thousands with Fergie. From the you know the early two thousands, we always had Abramovich. He was our constant. We changed managers, you know, almost every season, and it always yielded trophies. Um, much like United through the nineties and early two thousands with Fergie, it always yielded trophies. Now both of those uh, constants have have vanished and you know we're, we're now seeing a, a rebuild and, and a change of ethos a change of structure a change of everything at the club and uh so far it's it's not uh not too great one uh one constant that's continued though Lewis, is spending money um how, how's that gone so far well i think uh, it's a constant throughout everything and I, I thought about this when we were talking about this on the last time jake uh not jake was it uh t- uh Tommy, Tommy. Threw out, Tommy threw it out about you know how we bought our success. I think every if you look through, you know, since the Premier League's inception, every team that has won it has had the biggest budget and has spent the most money. The most notable projects on that part are you know the likes of of Blackburn. You know they spent the cash to get Shearer in, Sutton in, go and win the league. Then you go through Chelsea, they get the the Roman money comes in, go and win the league. People acting like Man United didn't have, you know. The money to go and get Cantona, spend all the money on, on players like that. When throughout the whole Premier League era, teams with the biggest budget more often than not win the league. Um, so it, it, it and it's the same in uh, I think most sports. Um, so yeah. I don't think it's just Chelsea that have, have, have done it, but we just we've done it in a way that was never been seen before. You know, fam- clubs were up until the Premier League era were family owned, and then it became consortium owned. Then it, all of a sudden we had an oligarch. Who was prepared to put untold amount of money in and change football forever? It's never been the same since he's come back. Sorry, since he since he came in. I was going to say it has changed a little bit of obviously how teams are doing it, and I think you're right. It's gone from like that family feel of being owned now into even like state being owned. Like you look at City. Um, so then, is it a case of the the common denominator here between both Man United? falling in grace and Chelsea is coming from the top. So like Coxie with you and obviously going to the games and seeing the the unrest of the fans towards the owners. Is it the owners that have made United where they are now? I think simple answer for me is yeah. Um, I think we can get, we get a little bit riddled with the owners and the success we've had since they've been here. Um, If you look from 2005 onwards, you know, the key thing for me is what's changed. So we had that success in the late noughties, but you can argue that was with an established team that was purchased by Ferguson before they, they took over. Um, and I think if you've looked over in terms of a vision, what what's United's vision, what's United's structure, it's nobody knows the answer. You know, I feel like we, we got away with it a little bit under Ferguson. But even under Ferguson, the signs were showing. And a big one for me was, you know, if you go back to when we sold Ronaldo, when we signed uh, Overton, Michael Owen and uh, Valencia. So, you know, where's the sporting uh, nounce in that? So that was just the start of it in my eyes. Um, and I just feel like, which is things like the, the communication, you know, we used to be the best in class. Those days have gone. We don't have a real clear vision. You know, I mean, if you look at Chelsea, like Bennett was saying there, they had a, they, at least they had a, a structure in terms of, you know, they were getting lots of managers in serial winners and they were winning trophies. Ours, there seems to be a bit 
um, inconsistent. You've gone from Sir Alex Ferguson to picking the manager. And God loves Sir Alex, but really the club should have had a bit of a, a structure in place for when he did retire and a bit of a project to say, this is going to be our guy, interviewing five or six candidates, keeping our eyes on you know around Europe, on who's the best in class. But we've got, you know, he's knocked on his door and gone, David, you want a job? And then it's gone from David Marge to Louis van Aal, who's possession. Then you've gone from him to Mourinho, who's completely contrast. Then you've gone from Mourinho to Ole Gunnar Solskjaer to give a bit of a buzz. And, and it's just it's just very erratic. And um, yeah, it's not been great. Yeah, I think that's, you, you speak there on the managers. Um, United haven't had that consistency. I think a manager's really not been, since Fergie, have not been in place for what, more than two years? Um, and it's fairly similar to Chelsea as well. Like Chelsea haven't had a manager really consistent in a couple of years. I think at United, it's one of those where Fergie was so powerful that maybe was it a case of the Glazers trusted him to pick the next manager because they were clueless. But then you look at who the Glazers had around them. Did they have anyone advising him on or, or advising the Glazers on what they should really be doing? It was just almost like one of those... I think the Glazers were the first to really come in and just like not really have a clue and just kind of throw a little bit of money towards it and kind of make many, many bad decisions. Um, I think you would agree, Cox, that the amount of bad decisions United have had since maybe even like you said, when Ronaldo left. Yeah, I mean, I'll I'll give you a bit of a, a short version of what it probably looks like. So let's say I'm a billionaire. I go over to the NBA. I buy a franchise. I've not got a clue about basketball. One thing I would do is I'd hire people who knew about basketball. So I'd be buying it because I'd, I'd, I don't know. I'd be buying it because I'd love it. I'd love the sport. But even if I didn't have an inch, you know, if I wanted to delve into that as a businessman, but I'd be getting people who are the best in class. To your point, Stuart, I don't think the Glazers have shown any emotion or any attachment to the club. And I think that's where the fans, well, I know the fans are really upset with that because. You know, you, you can just see the, the, the divide in the club and the supporters. There's just no communication. Um, and I feel like they've just left it. They just milked us dry. You know, they're letting Ed Woodward make decisions on buying football players just to boost revenue sales up. And the transfer strategy has been erratic. Um, so it's frustrating. Um, and I just feel like it's as simple as that. They've just not really been bothered about it. If you are bothered about it and you want to be the best in class, you you get the best in class. But the ambition's not been there. It hasn't, but you, you have to say as well that the Glazers have always backed the manager in terms of the funding. Um, I know there's a, a few United fans out there who would say, oh, well, we don't have the money in like, especially this transfer window with FFP coming in. Oh, we don't have the money for it. But the Glazers have put money in towards a playing squad, but it's the players that we are signing are the wrong players. With with the money. So I did a little bit of homework. They've the Glazers have spent 1.1 billion on debt. So 743 million of that of that 1.1 has gone to debt. 147 million has gone to dividends. So that's all six siblings. They've just took the money out. I mean, if Darcy Glazer walked past me in Ashton Town Centre, I won't, have, I won't know who she is. I've never seen her, and I, and I only know what Joel and Avram looks like. Um, £55 million has gone to the directors, so that's the others who we don't know who just take the money. And the £23 million of the management fees have gone to people like Ed Woodward, telling us who to buy, who are still on our payroll, by the way, even though he's left. So £1.1 billion has gone onto all that, and we've got a leaky roof. We've got our training facilities that have not changed since Ronaldo's been there. Um, I'm hoping it don't rain tonight, Stuart, because when I go to the games, I'm I'm that guy who's under that roof. Um, You'll be getting wet tonight, I'm sure. I will be getting wet, yeah. Um, but, you know, we, you have, we have spent money on players, but that's money generated by United. If you kind of do your homework and have a look at how much United spend, there's a common theme. So we kind of get like, it's like our pocket money. Um, we're kind of a victim of our, we're a bit of a victim of um, failure really because because we do so well we will generate money because we're global if we was in Everton or a Tottenham we would never get away with this so we do spend money and it is wrongly spent but somebody tell me what John Murta does and somebody tell me what who's the football director we don't have a director of football we have no strategy at least with Chelsea 
you know, I can see, all right, it might not be going so well, but there are a bunch of young talent, so I can see where he wants to go with that. At least they've got a vision. Um, with so then would you say, yeah, with that, yeah, they don't, there's no vision. Um, Lou, would you say that Chelsea do have a vision or not? Uh, I'd say they, they do have a plan. I think that that's fairly evident. Um, Your favourite word in the project? No, I don't like the project. I don't like the project. No, I'm 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 all for um I'm all for the plan. I like because we we've been crying out as a fan base. We've been crying out for this for, since since the Abramovich era. Since probably Mourinho was there, where we looked at the likes of Man United and went, we want longevity. You know, we we brought Mourinho in, spent a load of money, won titles, played football that had, had never been seen before. And all of a sudden, we were like, oh, this, this, we could build a dynasty here. Year three comes in, Mourinho's at the door, and then in comes the manager carousel. So as a fan base, we've been, for a large part of that early Abramovich years, we were crying out for some stability. And then, you know, we, we had some big managers come in. You know, we had Felipe Scolari, for example, comes in. Well known. Ancelotti comes in. And we're crying out, maybe, oh, is this going to be the person that's going to give us that, that Fergie-type um, dynasty? And, it, and, and we never had it. But when we did change managers, largely because of the quality of player we had, we often, as we said, we yielded trophies. So as a fan base, we were happy. Oh, you know what? We're struggling. We'll get him out the door. We'll bring someone in. You know, for, for a manager like Di Matteo, you know, no disrespect to the, the legend that is Roberto, but for him to win a Champions League, you know, with no managerial experience tells you everything about the quality of the players in the club at the time. You know, and that's on the back of Andre Villas-Boas, who was trying to do kind of what we're doing now, where trying to turn over some of the old guard, trying to bring in some younger players. Um, you know, likes of Oriol Romeu was a the, played the first six games under him and was brilliant. Didn't finish the season with you know in in the team because we went back to Frank Lampard and the and the, and the tried old guard. But the plan now is is one that you have to have to have patience with because. Realistically speaking, only an idiot thinks you're going to catch City in the next two-year window. Only an idiot thinks you're going to catch Liverpool in a two-year window because they are so far ahead in their structure, in their organisation and their personnel. Our, we have the youngest squad in the Premier League, bar none. So if you look at just purely on on numbers, players reach their peak 26, 27, 28. Our average age is 21, 22. Take away Thiago Silva, who's 47. You know, we've got a very young squad. So this is very much a long-term play. But again, for a fan base that has been every year we're either competing for a trophy or we're having a very good crack at the at the league, it it's it's not gonna it's not sitting well with a lot of people. And and I get that it's not great with me when I sit there and go, Oh, Brentford this weekend, probably gonna lose. That was you never said that ten years ago. Every team turned up to the bridge, you were like, Right, we're gonna win this. The question is by how many? Um, so but do you I'm, think you're losing those games because it's young, naive players, or is it what's it down to? Because Pochettino is a good manager, you have talent there, like you shouldn't be losing these games. I mean, the the biggest contrast is is if you look at the the Arsenal game, which by the way I claimed we'd get something out of on the last time I was on the pod, but you know we played very very well. We rose to the occasion. We played against a team that was you know they weren't they weren't at their best. I'll give them that, but we stepped up and we started playing good football. Whereas every team that we've struggled against so far this season has all been that sit deep, low block, come and in, try and break us down. And as I've, I said last time, we don't have the quality at the moment in that final, as Thomas Tuchel called it, 20 metres, to break teams down. We are, and in the in years gone by, when we'd come up against teams like that, we had a Lampard, a Balak, an SEN, a, a Joe Cole, a player that would go take, or it, you know, greatest example being Eden Hazard, who would take the, the, the team by the scruff of the neck, go and get you a goal, win your game. We, at the moment, we haven't got that. That that X factor, that one player that can go and give you that, or that one player that can put the ball in the net from 25 yards. And so it becomes not necessarily one-dimensional, but the moment we get to that that uh, stumbling block, that you can see that players start to, to get a little bit, all right, we'll, we'll recycle possession, we'll go the other side, team shifts across, right, what's our next answer? We, we don't seem to have any form of answer at the moment. And is that what makes you nervous? Like, is, is this going to be a case of this season, you might end up out the top, 
let's say seven, eight and not getting a European place, then you start losing out on the revenue from that. And there becomes more structural pressure amongst the whole club. Like this is a scary time being a Chelsea fan, is it not? From a financial point of view, yeah, because you have, if we don't make Europe this year and certainly not next year, then the financial fair play implications are humongous because all of a sudden that's 30, 40 million in revenue gone. And when they take the the, the FFP over, is it five years? Then you, you look at that all of a sudden, that's, that's huge, especially on the way that they've spent all this money on the young talent. I think if we don't make Europe, which is, is likely, I think right now, I think Opta's got us finishing 10th um, based on, on the stats so far this season. So if we finish 10th, then that, that financial implication is huge. So that means t- where does that money come from? Then it's going to come from sale of academy players. You like to see Colin Gallagher's, your Armando Broyers, players that come through that we're, we're looking at thinking these were initially going to be the benchmark of our future under Lampard, you know, only what, three years ago. We're sitting there looking of we've got Reese James, Amanda Breyer, Tammy Abraham, all these young players coming through the the Cobham Academy system, our our own class of '92, if you will. We're looking at building a future round. All of a sudden, now they're going to be the ones being sold off to make FFP work. Yeah, so, I, that, that is a good thing, though, because you look at like if you compare it to United, I think, and maybe Cockney would agree with this, is United have struggled for so many years to sell off players that aren't quite there whereas I think Chelsea should deserve a little bit of praise for selling a few of these players I know a lot of media outlets slate Chelsea for what they spent over the last couple of years and amount of players they they brought in but you've done a good job as well of shipping out players yeah but I mean but we we for the last five six years we've been you know trying to get rid of players off the books from that 16-17 season where, you know, we, we only recently got rid of Danny Drinkwater. You know, you know, he's recently retired, so we'll bring him up. But we, we've still got, I think, Bubba, uh, Malang Saab, Bubba Raman. I think Malang Saab's still on our books. I think he's getting 100 grand a week. And, and Pochettino doesn't even know who he is. You know, so there's a, the, we, we've only just really had the clear out of the quote-unquote dead wood before, you know, this season. And if now it becomes, all right, yeah, every everyone knows how good the Cod, the Cobham um, pipeline is. You know, it's, it's world-renowned. There's a reason why if you've played in the Chelsea Academy, statistically, you're well above the, the average of going on to have a successful, successful football career. Um, so what no happened one, to your career? I've never made it, mate. No, and <laughs> I'd pick up cones, put them down. But, you know, the, but, you know, look at the number of kids that are coming through at 16, 17. I would, there's, there's a guy on Twitter, a guy called Phil, who does at Chelsea Youth, who's very big on it all. Um, he po- we we often, you know, go back and forth. And he, something like 92% of academy scholars who have signed since 2016 have gone on to to play senior football in the in the top four divisions. 92% is, um, you know, that, that, that farm system is phenomenal. And and not many not many clubs have that. So, but if we're going to constantly get raided for it, then it's it's a short term fix because we're going to have to then go and buy the likes of a Cole Palmer who's who's brilliant. But we're going to sell one group of players to to fund another group of players that are going to be very similar skill set and, and age profile. Yeah, I know you hate the word that about being a project, but I think I do think Chelsea are on the right path and. Coxie, for you, is it a case of you see kind of what Chelsea have done in terms of bringing in maybe younger players? This is what United should have done in terms of, you look at the Casemiro signing. Yes, he was fantastic last year, but he's coming towards the end of his career. Varane coming towards the end of his career. Is the Chelsea way of doing it over the last 12 to 18 months, do you think that's something that United need to be looking at? Like, when was the last time we really brought in a, a proper academy product into the team. Yes, you had Garnacho, but he was maybe bought later on in his youth. You have Kobe Mainu, who obviously picked up an injury pre-season, but is youth the way to go for United? Yeah, I mean, Man United have always been built on the youth, haven't they, with the Busby Babes, and that's what we kind of like, you know, pride ourselves on, you know, giving youth a chance. You know, we've got some crazy stat, haven't we, where we've had a youth academy player appear in the first team for goodness how, goodness knows uh, how many years. But um, I feel like the problem we've had over time, Stu, is that was going back to what I was saying about the managers, does the academy align in with what the first team is? So you might have a really young talent who's really good on the ball, 
um, effective in the final third, brave, takes risks, and then he comes into a Jose Mourinho team and doesn't fit. So I feel like again, just going back to that structure, you know, as our youth academy, we're getting them, we get the Yana's eyes and we've got the Ganachos. But it's pretty low, isn't it? You know, if you compare to what we used to be getting, even lads who maybe not get careers at United, they've gone and had successful Premier League careers, such as, you know, you look at Johnny Evans, Kieran Richardson, Fraser Campbell, Danny Welbeck. They've all had decent careers in the Premier League or, or overseas. But I feel like the problem is, again, it's there's just such a divide between what the academy is producing and what the first team is. You know, we don't have an identity. So we might have all these guys who are really good, but they might not fit what the manager wants. So that's where somebody who needs to be a director of football, someone making decisions where they go, you know, this is what a Manchester United player looks like and this is what a Manchester United team should look like and a manager should look like. So it should all kind of bold into one. Whereas if I look at Chelsea, I know things aren't rosy at the moment, but at least you've you've got a manager who likes to work with younger players. We've seen that when he did it at Spurs, Pochettino. And it's hot. It's awful at the start when it's not working. But if you got, you know, you're all coaches. If you got 18, 17 new lads, all coming in who, who are from different teams and structures or cultures, it's going to take time to to mould. So I think Chelsea have got time on their hands. But with Manchester United, it's all up in the arms because what we're doing now is we're saying play the kids because the first team aren't good enough. But are they ready? Do you want to put them under that spotlight? I don't know. I think that's the difficulty when it everybody wants youth in the team. We're talking about Man United and Chelsea. It's what's the likelihood of that youth being good enough? And really, you know, Man United do have Rashford in the team. They have Mick Day in the team, who's been starting out lately. Uh, Hannibal's been getting minutes as well as Garnacho. So there are, you know, there are players in the squad or even in the starting team at United. I don't think there's ever going to be another situation like the class of '92 where you can have half the team as academy lads and. You know, to Lewis's point about the amount of players Chelsea produced that turn into a, a professional football player, I feel like Man United and Chelsea, then they shouldn't be looking to develop 10 players a year that play professional football. They should be looking for that one star each year that goes into their starting 11 and has an impact. Um, and because of that, I think it's very hard to see the academy as the way forward if you want to win the Premier League, if you want to compete with City. Um you know, unless you might, yeah, you might get that one star player that comes through, but that's not going to be the makeup of your team. You're going to have to bring in, bring in big names. I think United's issue has been that the big names they brought in, they've been at the latter stages of their career, let's say. Um, whereas Chelsea, they brought young, but they bought good enough. I think only time will tell with that one. Um, so what what do you see as what Coxie, What do you see as the way forward for United. How do United catch up with with the city, with the Liverpool? I feel I feel we've got to be a bit humble. I, 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 when we lost on Sunday, I was I was saying to a lot of me, uh, a lot of a lot of my United friends, saying we shouldn't really be like too disappointed that we lost. Obviously, the manner we lost was was terrible, but that's like um, a no disrespect, but that's like an Everton fan moaning that they didn't beat Arsenal. I, I feel like that's how far away far away we are from them. You know, Manchester United transfer strategy is all over. Like, I look, Casemiro was great last season, but was he first choice? And we're chasing Frankie de Jong for months, which I couldn't understand. If if it was a simple no, surely that's... And you, again, it goes back to player profiling. I feel like we just need to sort internally our structure. We need to strip it back to basics, literally strip it back to basics. And we've got to stop thinking we're going to challenge for leagues because... As far as I'm concerned, and I've said it a few times, as long as the Glazers are in charge, we will not compete for a league title or a European Cup. And I, and I say that with with 100% certainty. I just don't think we will. And you've got to get your in-house right. You look at other teams like your Brightons and your Brentfords, they've been um, obviously praised for how they do things. You know, you look at the structure at Southampton in the past, you look at Dortmund, they've all got their own niches in terms of how they run. Obviously, I know Southampton are relegated, they made a few bad managerial choices, but if you look for that seven, eight-year period where they were producing players, so they have an identity. Whether that's right or wrong, they've got a clear structure into what they do. I don't know what United do. I really don't. We're signing Johnny Evans back. Why? Why is a 37-year-old centre-back coming back? Surely there's somebody in the youth or... You know, where's your scouting? It's just very erratic. So your answer to your question, Jack, for me is it, it comes from the top. And the, the culture and the structure comes from the top. And then if it's negative, 
you'll get negative outcomes. If it's positive, you only got to look at round the corner at City and other clubs. Um, you'll get positive outcomes. It's almost it's, feels like they need to press the pause button on on thinking about you know competing for titles or even top two for a season or so until they just figure out the structure of the club. Um, maybe the same way as Newcastle are slowly kind of building their club up and trying to get the structure correct before they bring in the big talents. Maybe Man United need to hit the pause button on the on-field stuff and get the the off-field thing squared away first before they can build a team that competes at the top level. Can you, can you always, though, I know the Glazers are the forefront of the issues here, but for the poor performances that the players are putting in, can you really put all the blame at the top? I agree with you in terms of the Glazers are bad for the club, but you're looking at some of the attitudes from the players. Do you think that's the ownership, let's say the ownership controversy is playing on their mind as well, Coxie? Yeah, no, obviously. Oh, yeah. I mean, you can't, you've got to look at the, the on-field stuff is the on-field stuff, but I, I probably, I relate it to if, you, if you're in a very negative, a negative, negative environment, it, it's going to be very negative. I mean, these players, it's been poor. We've had a lot of injuries and I feel like that's a contributor to what it is right now. Um, I just feel like it's going to take time. We're going to have to suck it up, but that's why we've got to strip it back. I mean, how many times have we heard the word restructure it or, you know, going for a transition and, and all these words that you hear, you know, how many how many of those players fit into the ideology of Manchester United? I, I don't know because I don't know what the, what, what the strategy is. I looked at the back four, Lindelof left back, Harry Maguire centre-back, Johnny Evans centre-back and the low right-back. Did any of them four start if we have all our defenders back? The answer to that is no. But then, but then you look at all last couple of years ago when we was under Ragnick and Ollie, there was a lot of leaks coming out of the changing room. So the culture's really poor and it's one of them where sometimes when a manager, the manager's been thrown under the bus and a lot of the times, and don't get me wrong, he deserves a little bit of criticism tonight, but that's not me saying we should get rid of him. I just feel like he's got a very tough job. He's got a very tough circumstance. So when things are low, things are low, aren't they? I mean, do, do if you was a Man United player, Stu, in that changing room, so I say you was Rashford, do you sit there thinking, do you know what, we'll, we'll probably win a league in a few years' time or we'll win some trophies right now? With all this all going over ahead of the ownership and just the way things are, especially someone like Rashford who's been there with Van Gaal, Mourinho, Ole. You know, you want to be competing for titles and so many players have come to this club. How many could have gone on to different careers and had more success? You know, I always think that, me. So, I feel like... Would, would you would you blame Rashford if he left this summer? No, I, I, w I wouldn't blame anybody. I, I really wouldn't. And, um, you know, I want, I want the best players to play for Manchester United, but I wouldn't blame him. You know, if I was a footballer, if you was a footballer now, where would you want to go? In that United. <laughs> yeah, if you want to win trophies, you wouldn't, would <laughs> yeah. you? Um, but, you know, you'd go, uh, I've got to be honest, you'd probably go to City. But it you, goes back you, to what you said, right, in terms of your the best player you've seen live is a City player in Kevin De Bruyne. Like, there's yeah. no talent at United. I know a few people at the club and I know what their, I know what their, their instincts are in terms of they want to be the best. They want to be the best in on the pitch with the men's team, the women's team, the training facilities, esports. They they want to be the best in class. You know, are we being the best in class? Um, but some, I think, just some players are not good enough as well. You know, you can't. Maguire gets a lot of stick, and rightly so if you want to play on the front foot and possession based. But is it his fault? You know, is it Johnny Evans's fault that he wasn't great against Manchester City, or is it Lindelof's fault that he's not good enough at left back when he's? Do, do you get it? so? Sometimes I think that's where I go back to my original point. We've got to suck it up and humble ourselves. We're, we're just not. I think people we, we refer to what happened in the past, and I think sometimes that's hard to let go when you've seen so much success, and you've just got to suck it up. It's just a reality right now. I think one of, the, one of the things you just said then, Coxie, was you know if if you're a player at the moment, where where would you rather go, United or City, or you know anywhere like that? But I think the the real question is is from that United squad, how many of them get into City squad, not the starting eleven? How many of them get into the squad, the 23, 24, 25 players? Not many, zero. But I think the shocking thing as well is how many of our players would get into Brighton's team, Villa's team, and like teams that are in terms of stature, are way behind, say, United, but. It's a true fact at the moment. How many of our players would would get a sniff of 
I don't know, you even look at Tottenham at the moment and you look at how Tottenham and Liverpool have developed outside of the game, especially Tottenham. I know they get a lot of stick and Levy gets a lot of stick in terms of turning them into a, a nightclub and uh, you want Beyonce performing there every week. But you look at the state of Tottenham Stadium, it's fantastic. Like, Lou, I know Chelsea have been looking to develop their stadium and they're looking to buy the land next to Stamford Bridge. But does that, seeing Tottenham, and especially because they're a rival of yours, seeing them develop into having a fantastic stadium, does that worry you as a Chelsea fan, thinking that you might be behind them in a couple of years' time? No. No, I mean, I think Tottenham uh, Tottenham have had this for, for years where... Um... I think this will be the first time that they'll they'll have an actual, I don't want to say a, a, a genuine sniff of the uh, title. I don't think I still don't think they'll win it. I think they'll be in and around it, but I don't think um, I think that this will be the first year since since the infamous Battle of the Bridge when Leicester won it. You know that freak year when all the traditional top six were terrible and Leicester come through and won it. I think this will be the first time Tottenham have had an actual sniff. But what's, stop, what's stopping Tottenham overtaking Chelsea over the next 10 years and being a bigger, a better club than Chelsea? Well, they'd have to go a long way to become a better club than Chelsea. Just having a stadium doesn't do that because we've seen that with Arsenal. We've seen that with with a lot of teams that move move ground. The, the thing for, for Chelsea, back to the stadium thing, is we've known for many years in, in under the Abramovich era that Chelsea have got a huge problem when it comes to that stadium like we'll only ever be able to go in its current capacity to the forty four and a half thousand. if we get the land which you know they've purchased it and it's all going to be signed off then they're trying to the, the new ownership are trying to um build a sort of a complex like a, with a huge shopping sort of infrastructure and uh, restaurants and and whatnot kind of like what Bates did with Chelsea Village in the in the 90s and two, early 2000s but to a, a whole new scale the only way that we can, as a club, go and get ourselves one of these all singing, all dancing, multi-sport arenas like the Tottenham Stadium, you know, like a New Wembley, like a even a, a Emirates, is to to go off site and the 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 headache, not even the headache, the 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 roadblocks on that way on that happening uh, are, are huge. So, for example, the Chelsea pitch owners own the name Chelsea Football Club. And it is integral to the fact that Chelsea can only play at Stamford Bridge, which is this, uh, thanks to Ken Bates during uh, his tenure as chairman, basically saying that if Chelsea ever moved to that Ells Court site, because this, you know, this Ells Court hasn't been isn't a new thing. This has been going on for years. They they can't go without the Chelsea pitch owners turning around and saying, "Yeah, we'll give you license to use the the name Chelsea Football Club." So if Chelsea up and decide, if Foley turns around and says, all right, we're just going to buy Ells Court or we're going to move to Battersea Power Station, you know, when that was available, you couldn't do it. Uh, sorry, Abramovich, when you try and get Battersea Power Station, you couldn't do it because the Chelsea pitch owners would have to sign off on the use of the name or would be West London FC. It'd be like Pro Evo 2 all over again. We'd just have some made up name. Um, so the identity of the club is very much linked to Stamford Bridge. And, you know, a lot of the match-going fans have, have got memories there. And I, I get it. I've been to Stamford Bridge many a time. I still remember my first game and, and the history of it. But the the overall, you know, just a stadium doesn't make a club. You know, a stadium doesn't doesn't just all of a sudden you've got a brand spanking shiny new stadium make, means you're the biggest club in London. Not at all. Yeah, so it's, it's one of those that I think Chelsea are, trending in the right direction I think Man United are still in the foundation part and even before that probably so maybe a question for both of you two parts to it who's finishing higher this year and in five years time who's finishing higher well this year it could, I think this year will be the first year in Premier League history where we'll both finish outside the top eight <laughs> that's a bold statement I think I know it's not bold it's, that's, a, that's a fact we know both teams have never been that far down the table but um I think I think we'll both be hovering around that that fight for that what's the the Mickey Mouse Europa League spot or Conference League that one that West Ham fans keep chiming on they've won Champions of Europe that one um, that I think we'll both be loitering around eighth ninth this year just because if the teams in front of us are, are much more well oiled um, in terms of five years Chelsea will be sorting themselves out before United do. 
can't, I can't disagree. I think, yeah, we'll be both battling for the Eurovision Song Contest, won't we, uh, Benton? Um, Calden Beef away. Malaga at home, that'll be the big one. I, I hope, I, I'd rather finish 10th than play in that competition. Uh, Thursday, Sundays are a killer. Uh, but I'm going to have to be on it, yeah. I just feel like it'll be 5th, 6th, 7th, won't it? The trajectory that we're going on, I think we're just going to have a little couple of wins here, then we're going to have a couple of defeats, and then... You know, you get a good result one game and you'll lose to somebody like Burnley at home. So I'm I'm probably going to have to say, I think United will probably just pick Chelsea. But I reckon it will be will be tight. I reckon six for United. You agree with that, Lou? You reckon United are going to be higher this year? I mean, I, I'd I'd be surprised if there was... The, the, the final standings, may be, they may be a place or two ahead, but... They won't be more than four points difference in it. I think now, I think if you look at the points points on it, um, I, neither of us are making top four, top five. Um, I, but I'd say that that we'll be within four points of each other because <clears throat> for every every game that we go on and win, there'll be another Brentford around the corner, um, and for every every um, you know Arsenal every Arsenal performance, <laughs> there'll be a Forest performance. As well from us, where you know, in terms of, we'll have all the possession and we'll lose, you know, and and when it comes down to it, I think right now our average points, I think we're at one point one one, they're at one point one zero, so it's like, just horrifically low for both teams based on their their usual standards. So, if you just take that trajectory alone, we're going to be bang on each other by the end of the season. So it's it's April two thousand and twenty nine. Where are Chelsea in the league? Are they about to wrap up the league title? 2029, yeah, will be certainly in the question. I'd say. I mean, it's 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 tricky because you look at it and go, "Oh, if you just if you stuck with not necessarily the, just this group of players, but following the, the the supposed pathway of the the players, and they they all progress on the on the career paths, even at 80 percent of the career paths that the, the the club is gambling on them having, because it'll be, you know youth, young players is a gamble." You know, Chelsea got rid of Mo Salah and Kevin De Bruyne because they didn't meet the standards of the Chelsea first team at the time they were there. Nobody, and I think you know John Terry and, and many other other pros have gone on from that era have said they never envisaged those two players having the careers they've gone on to have. So it is a gamble. But if you if you look at what the plan and the projected path is, you would say that they've got to be 27, 28, 29 in that question, or everything they're doing now is is going to be a failure. Yeah. So then, Coxie, for you. April 2029, are we playing Stoke City on a Tuesday night or are we competing again? I think we've just sacked Harry Maguire as manager, <laughs> brought Paul Scholes in as an interim, and we've just re-signed David De Gea. Um, <laughs> I'm playing Strand Rare in the Eurovision Song Contest. Um, and I don't... <laughs> Do you know what? We won't be winning. We won't have won a league. If we right now, as if we, everything stays as it is, we'll just be we'll be floating around, a couple of top fours here and there. But yeah, we'll probably. So then, so then the next question for that point is: if let's say it stays the same, Glazers don't end up selling. Option B: we go with the the Jim Ratcliffe twenty five percent. Let's say it may be increased a little bit, or what a lot of United fans are hoping a, a full sale of the club. Those three options: do you think drastically change where we're finishing in five years' time? I don't think so. I, I really don't. I don't think it's a matter of let's just get a new owner in and splash billions and billions. We need a hundred percent full sale. We need a reset. Um, and I just even even with Sir Jim Ratcliffe coming in, I just don't think that'll make too much of a difference because it, you don't really have full say on everything. So if that's the case, I think things will just stay the same. So the Sorry. tricky part is you just you've just got to look at what City did in their luring of Pep. You know they built yeah. the club in in a in a way that he was going to. I mean, we all everyone can wax lyrical about you know Pep's abilities and and so on and so forth. But you know they brought in a CEO and a sporting director in that Tiki Bergerstein, who he knew and was going to build him up for success. They put academy structures in place in the way that he would like it. Did it did everything to set him up for success, and yet the way that both of our clubs are currently. I mean, we're, you yeah. can see there is an element of, of it in what we're trying to do, but certainly for what you guys are doing, it's just putting in another peg to, to stop the leak. And there, there would have to, you have to have a wholesale 
right how what's our vision oh no there was was it your uh little uh ralph rangnick he, he mentioned it about the, the club from the top open heart surgery yeah open heart surgery go through and do everything again um so yeah i think it's as much as it hurts to just constantly give city praise but they they set themselves up for success in on the, in the boardroom both our clubs have to do that i mean I, we've brought in you know Lawrence Stewart and Paul and Stanley to, to do head up the sporting directors and, and recruitment both of those guys have come from from clubs that have got great success in recruiting young players and, and developing them and selling them on but if you were to say around and say develop players recruit recruit develop sell on that's not chelsea chelsea is winning titles chelsea is being competing for everything um so it'll be it'll be interesting to see if those those mindsets and those uh structures can can help us be successful but united have certainly got to do the same thing just on your yeah. point there benton sorry quick one you just said about like the setup with city and pep's got it all around him which i totally agree we're like a bit of a graveyard for managers if you look at brighton when De Zebra came into brighton people were writing him off who's De Zebra? you know is it the manager or is it the structure or is it a bit of both you know, because Graham Potter left there and went to Chelsea and it went downhill. And, you know, I, I like Graham Potter in some respects, but it just shows you, doesn't it, that somebody for him who's not got a track record as decent as a manager, but the, the glove just fit, didn't it, with his ever he's gone in and they've just carried on as they are. They've not really had to change too much. So I think Desebra is definitely getting, he's reaping the benefits of Potter. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It, I mean, you don't just turn up and all of a sudden Lewis Dunk can play out from the back and spray 40 yards. No. That, that's, that's not just a, an overnight thing, but. I mean the, the the whole Graham Potter. He was, I mean Tommy Tuchel. When he, for, I'll, I'll hold my hands up. I've got a text message to one of my best pals, who's an avid Chelsea fan as well, works at the club. I texted him the day we got the Tuchel, and I was like, I'm not sure this is going to work. I was like, because his body of work going before him, I was like, I just don't think he's going to fit our, you know. And I, after about three weeks, held my hands up. I went, cool. I was got that one wrong, because he came in and all of a sudden there was you could see there was a, a way of doing. There was an intensity about his training sessions, you know, that, that you saw. There was intensity about him on the field, and a standard was set. Um, and then we, he was a huge fan favourite since you know with the old embargo and Abramovich sanctioning period. You know, just from his comment about you know if we've got we've got no money, I'll drive a bus. You know, fans latched onto that, and he was he was you know the coming of the Messiah. Um, and for Potter to come in, I think he was never going to get enough time to really go through it. And no manager will get time because Chelsea is historically has never given managers time. Change ownership, change mindset, change ethos, change all of that stuff. You're not going to get 12 to 15 to 20 games when the amount of money on the line and the status of the football club is at, is, is at stake. Um, <laughs> but I, I think Potter, if if we had been in a point where we'd turn around and said, Potter come in and say 2003 before Mourinho came in, I'd, he'd probably be, a, would have been a huge success because fans' expectation, player expectation, just general expectation of Chelsea Football Club would have been completely different to what it is now. Yeah, so I think you've both made some fantastic points there on obviously the status of your clubs. I think we bring in the moderator in terms of the middleman, Jack. Obviously, Huddersfield would definitely be in the Premier League in 2029. But if you were to guess now, where do you think Chelsea and uh, United will be 2029 to wrap it up? Yeah, 2029. I think Man City will be lifting their, what will it be, 9th or 10th trophy in a row uh, to continue their streak. Huddersfield probably coming close second, uh, pushing them all the way. Um, I just feel like Man United are always going to have the draw to bring in players because of the history of the club. And if they can figure things out, then they're going to be able to bring in some real quality players to turn things around. But I don't see them figuring it out. So um, I'm going to say five years from now, Chelsea finishing fourth, Man United finishing sixth. Uh, I agree with what Coxie said. I think, you know, over the next five, eight years, there'll be a couple of seasons where United get in the top four, top five, get a Champions League spot. And I think the same with Chelsea. And at the same time, there'll be a couple of years where they they drop down into a ninth or a seventh as well. Yeah, no, so it's definitely uh, a troubled uh, pathway ahead for both teams. Um, to Lewis and to, to Coxie, we appreciate you guys both coming on um, and kind of talking about the the status of your clubs. Um, it's definitely going to be an interesting next few months, few uh, few years to see where they're going to end up. 
Just just um, to jump in, noodles, you'd definitely rather be a Chelsea fan than a United fan at this point, wouldn't you? No chance. No chance will I ever say that. I'm, I'm always going to be a United fan. Um, but before we go, um, Jack, obviously you had your question to me. If you'd like to to repeat it for our listeners, for those that haven't fallen asleep. Yeah, can you name the, the four the four clubs that have been in the Premier League for one season? They've had one season in the Premier League. So the first one that came to mind was obviously this year, uh, Luton Town. Yep, yeah, Luton Town. The next one that came to my mind was, um, and the reason I said this is because of the manager that is one of my favourite managers in Ian Holloway, and that's Blackpool. Correct. And then the cogs really had to get turning here in my brain um, and going back down memory lane into history. I want to say Swindon in the, was it the first year or second year of the Premier League? Yeah, they got relegated immediately. I didn't come back, I think, Swindon. Yeah, but I think the only reason I know that, I think they've got the the record for conceding the most goals in a Premier League. Uh, But I'll have to uh, check that. And then the fourth one I'm struggling with. What's that, Lou? Don't Derby hold that record? Is that lowest points? I thought they had lowest points. points, Yeah. And then the fourth one I'm completely at a loss of. I don't know if Coxie or Benning, if you know. Bradford. Bradford had two seasons. I was going to say there, Ipswich. Barnsley? Barnsley's correct, yeah. You've definitely Googled that. He said like he knows the knowledge. He's Googled it. My ones were I was Bradford or Barnsley were the two that came to to mind from early on in the Premier League. Barnsley, Blackpool, Luton Town, Swindon. uh, Teams with two seasons in. Uh, Bradford, Cardiff. I've had one season twice, so two seasons. Huddersfield Town and Oldham. Like it. Huddersfield getting some recognition for something. Didn't, it's always good to get him a mention. Haven't Huddersfield beat both of our clubs? Probably. Uh, they, I know they beat Man United at home on a rainy, windy Huddersfield afternoon where we smashed one up the field over yeah. the top and ran after it. And Not Big Steve time, was man. giving it massive. Steve definitely had his shirt above his head, wagging it around. Yeah. And then last time I went to Stamford Bridge, I think I was talking to Lewis about uh, losing 2-1 to Mourinho's Chelsea a long time back with, in the FA Cup with Huddersfield. Didn't they single you out? Didn't Mourinho come out to say, you, get get on the field, you could play for us? He, yeah, he came over for a little standing ovation from the Liverpool fans. But it's always better when you when you uh, support teams outside the Premier League. It's always more entertaining. There we go. So, yeah, to Lewis Coxie, uh, appreciate you guys both coming on. Um, from myself and Jack, we bid you a farewell. Thank you. Thank you.